It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. On Thursdays, we've been walking through a series on the Christian mindset, and it's all been building up to this point. Hi, I'm Nathan Johnson, and I'm so excited to be finally jumping into Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and Paul's list of the whatevers. But before we jump into today's Daily Thunder, can I encourage you to check out all of the events that are coming up at Ellerslie in 2021? There's a lot of great opportunities of whether you want to be discipled in the Ellerslie Discipleship Training Program or come to one of our conferences, for example, the Man Talk Conference, or come to one of the women's events, the Set Apart or the Set Apart Motherhood events. We're also working on dates for the Pastors and Leaders Summit. All that to say is we have a lot of exciting things happening in 2021, and the registration for most of those are now open. So consider joining us here in Windsor, Colorado next year or anywhere in the world via simulcast. For more information about the events that are coming up next year, please visit ellersley.com forward slash daily. Now, as we jump into today's Daily Thunder, we're going to look at this idea of Paul's statement, whatever. (laughs) And while it's a small word, it's a powerful reminder of the reality that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> uh, again, we've been walking through this little series on uh, little being, I guess, a relative term, uh, but it's still shorter than the World War II series, so this is little. Uh, but we've been walking through <clears throat> this little series on the Christian mindset and just thinking, okay, how, how does a Christian ponder, how does a Christian think, especially in this day and age, with all the stuff that's swirling about? And uh, we've been walking through verses 4 down through verse 9. And uh, <clears throat> we're, we're entering into the last two verses. Woo! Isn't that exciting? Except I'm a little concerned that verse 8 is going to take us a while. Uh, but what I want to do is I just want to read verses 4 down through verse 9. Again, just so it's fresh in our minds. And then I want to focus uh, this morning by, by jumping into verse 8. So this is what Paul writes, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let everyone come to know your gentleness. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there's anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Do those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, just for a little quick context here, just a little review. Uh, Verse 4, Paul says that we are to rejoice. And again, it's not based on circumstance, it's not based on situation, it's not based on, oh, I feel like it or I don't feel like it. Uh, I am called to rejoice every moment of every single day, that there should be this internal exuberance, this leaping, this trust, this gaze of the soul that is steadfast upon God. And again, if Paul can write this from a prison cell with a beaten and bruised back, surely we can do this in the middle of COVID. (laughs) Surely in the middle of the election process, we can rejoice. 
And again, it's not based on the results of this election process. It's based on the fact that we know who our God is. So we are called to rejoice always. And in case we forget it, Paul repeats and says, again, I will say rejoice. So again, there's this great emphasis on this idea of rejoicing. In verse 5, Paul reminds us that we are to be known by our gentleness. And then he begins to establish this idea that the reason we are to be known by our gentleness and the reason we are to be anxious for nothing is because the Lord is at hand. And when we recognize that the Lord is present and that he is coming soon, you realize oh, there is no reason to have anxiety. So as you move into verse 6, and he says, be anxious for nothing, right? He's setting up this great contrast. And he says, there's nothing in your life that is to produce anxiety. Nothing should be producing fear. Nothing should cause worry or trepidation or foreboding. That there's nothing going on in your life that's, that's stirring that stuff up within you. Everything pushes you to prayer. Now, again, it's not that there's a removal of circumstances. It's not that everything becomes great and, you know, skittles fall from the sky and, you know, you're skipping about. That, that's not what Paul's saying, as great as that would be. But what he's saying is every circumstance and situation in your life, no matter how difficult, instead of producing fear and anxiety, it's pressing you into the reality of Jesus Christ. So what would happen then if the same situations, the same temptations, the same problems, the same si- the same circumstances that have always produced fear and foreboding and worry and, and anxiety in, in our lives up until this point, what if they would drive us to Jesus and only cause us to get tighter with Jesus? It's a phenomenal idea. Love that. And he says that, again, we are to be filled with this in everything, prayer, supplication, making requests, and this is all covered with thanksgiving. Again, Thanksgiving is not a meal. Thanksgiving is the lifestyle, the conversation of a Christian, which is a great thought. Uh, and then he concludes this whole thing in verse 7, uh, which we looked at last time. And he said that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is going to guard or protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, hey, if everything is pressing you onto Jesus and everything is causing him to be glorified and, and nothing is producing anxiety in your heart, then what you're going to find is that his peace, and remember from the study, that peace is not some abstract thing that God has. It is who he is. He is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. So he himself, and this peace that he has and is, which surpasses all understanding, is really going to guard your hearts and your minds. So take all of that and now come into verse 8. And this is really where we were kind of heading for this whole study because Paul's talking about or giving the list of these are the things that we are to think upon. So let's just look at verse 8 again. Let me just read it. He says in verse 8, Finally, brothers, and you know when a preacher says finally, it really means nothing. But uh, finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever is lovely, And whatever things are of good rapport, if there's anything virtuous and if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Uh, Paul uses the language of whatever, and you'll you'll notice that six times uh, he's using this language of the whatevers. Uh, So in the list, and we'll talk about this in just one second, but in the list there's eight things that he says you're to think upon. Uh, Six of them are adjectives, two of them are nouns for all the nerds, if that means anything to anybody. And in front of all the adjectives, he uses the word whatever. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word whatever. I think of a teenage girl. <laughs> I don't know why that's in my mind. But it's like, I just imagine here's this young girl like, whatever, 
right? It's, just, it's that attitude of that whatever thing, right? Obviously, that's not what Paul's talking about, I presume. Uh, we don't have the tone, obviously, in the passage. But he's not, he's not acting as a little teenage girl, praise the Lord. What's interesting is that word whatever is actually a really pow- powerful word. It's a powerful term. And even though in English it's only eight letters, you realize that this word actually conveys this idea of lacking restriction. In other words, this whatever suggests that anything is possible within that realm. So this is not a limitation upon your life. This is actually a freedom in your life. Uh, For example, I walk up to you and I say, hey, uh, have you made a decision yet about whatever? And you're like, no, not yet. I says, oh, I will support you whatever you decide. What am I saying? There's actually no realm. There's no boundaries to that. So whatever you decide, I'm going to support you. And the whatever is, is, is a freedom word. Uh, I walk up to you and say, hey, what do you want for dinner? And you say, ah, whatever. What I presume you mean by that is that, hey, you don't care and that any option is a great option. So I can choose anything. Right? So, so it's, it's an actually, it's a freedom word. And yet while it's a freedom word, it, there is a, there's a limitation in it. Isn't it interesting that there is tremendous freedom in limitation that actually the moment you have some boundaries you're actually able to be freed up and you actually have greater freedom when you know the boundaries it's when you don't know the boundaries you're actually constrained now there's that old story and i'm presuming it's true about the uh, school with a whole bunch of kids and around the school property there was no fence and so they would send the kids out for recess and, and they would watch and it was interesting that all the kids always stayed really close to the building. Now, they had, they had the whole field. They, they had you know, all, this, all this play area. But because there were no boundaries, the kids typically stayed near the building. So the school decided to build a fence around the property of the, of the school. And the moment that happened and they sent the kids out for recess, it was amazing. The kids went all over the field. Because now, now that they knew the boundaries and the protection of, of, the, of the boundary itself, they were actually given more freedom in their hearts and their souls to actually function however they wanted to function. So they could play all over the field. Why? Because now they know the boundaries. As long as we don't know the boundaries, you're actually more constrained. I mean, you would think that, hey, if there's no boundaries, I could do whatever I want. That's actually not true. The moment you know the boundaries, you have ultimate freedom to do whatever you want within those boundaries. That's a great idea. So Paul is giving us boundaries and saying, hey, do whatever you want within those boundaries. And actually, this is not a limitation as much as it is a freedom in the passage. I'll give you one other cheesy illustration. Uh, years ago when I was in seminary, uh, I had a good friend of mine, and her name was Ginny, and she came up to me and says, Nathan, I, I, really, I really want to do this kind of dance. And there was these dance classes in, uh, in the town over, and, and Jenny was this great dancer. And uh, she says, hey, would, would you be interested in going with me to these dance classes? And it was totally platonic. There was nothing romantic at all in, in this whole thing. And, uh, and I, I looked at Jenny. I said, hey, I, I, I'm interested because I, I love the idea of dance, but I can't dance. So no, I, I can't do this. You know, there's, there's no way I can say yes because you don't want me dancing. <laughs> in many ways, you don't want me dancing. I don't know how to dance. I can't dance. It's just, it would not be good. And she's like, hey, I've asked everybody else. You're my last hope. Could you please, could you please come with me to the dance thing? 
And I eventually said yes, and we went to the dance thing. And, and it was amazing that when we got to the dance thing, that the first thing they did is put limitations upon us. And it says, okay, this is what the dance looks like, and, and this is what you're supposed to do, and, and this is what you don't do, and this, these are the boundaries of the dance. And it was interesting, over the course of a, of a bunch of lessons, by the time they had actually hit the music and we'd actually start to actually dance, because the first few times, you know, they were teaching us how to walk, uh, which I thought I knew how to do, but apparently not, right? But once we actually started dancing, it was interesting to me, not once did they have to say, all right, it's these steps in this order. It's here are our different pieces, and you can do whatever you want. So take all those pieces, rearrange them all, all that you want, and then just do that in the middle of the song. And there was incredible freedom in the midst of the boundaries of the dance. Does that make any sense? So I couldn't do any kind of dance because we were doing a specific kind of dance. So I'm not going to tell you what it was. <laughs> Some people know because I talk about it in the semester. But, uh, but there was limitations to the dance. So you can only do these kind of things in the dance. But in the midst of that, there was incredible freedom for whatever you wanted to do. So if I wanted to throw Ginny out in a twirl and then bring her back in, I could do it. If I wanted to do a dip, I could do it. If we wanted to turn right instead of turn left, we could do that. If we wanted to walk forward and bump into somebody, we could do that. Not that they would want us to, but we could do it. We had freedom. And there was, I, I got done with the whole class thing, and we were going around and talking about what we learned and, you know, the benefits of, of this class. And I said, it's really interesting to me. I love the fact that as someone who doesn't know how to dance, has no ability to dance, and have never danced in the past, that it was in the midst of having the boundaries, I actually felt safe and secure, and therefore I actually had more freedom to do what we were supposed to do. That is, that is so true on so many areas of our lives. So think about what Paul's telling us. He's coming in at verse 8, and he's giving a list of whatevers. Again, he is putting limitations. He's putting boundaries around what you were to think about. But in so doing, he's not trying to limit your thinking as much as give you freedom for what you're to think about. So this is not, well, you can't think about anything. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, you, ha you do have a boundary, and you, and you do have some protection, but in the middle of that boundary, think about whatever you want. And there's actually, a, this is a freeing thing, not a constraining thing. And isn't it a neat thought that the beauty of a godly life and mind are found by allowing our minds to think and meditate within a set of boundaries. That there is tremendous joy, there is tremendous life, there is tremendous freedom in the godly life when we stay within the boundaries. So look at the boundaries that Paul gives us. And again, he gives us a list of eight things. And we'll talk more about these in, in, a, in a future session here. But there's eight things. Six of them are adjectives. Two of them are nouns. He says, you can think about anything that is true, noble or honorable, just, pure, lovely, of good rapport, virtuous or excellent, and then praiseworthy. Hey, you, you, can, you can ponder, you can think about, you, you, can, you can go crazy on any of those things. And there's no restrictions. That's an exciting thought to me. Uh, he says at the very end of the passage, as he gets to that list, he concludes verse 8 by saying, Think on these things. Uh, that word there, think, it's the Greek word logizomai. And uh, if you've been around Ellerslie at any length of time, you've heard Eric talk about this. 
Uh, this is the word that shows up in like Romans chapter 6, verse 11, and which is translated the word reckon. Uh, but the word itself in, in the Greek, this idea that is often translated to think or dwell upon these things or to meditate upon these things, uh, the word, let me just give you a, a set of definitions here. You can translate it count or consider or reckon, but it's this idea of to reason, to reflect upon, to ponder, to think about, to let your mind dwell upon, to give careful thought to a matter, to take into your account, which is that, I, that, that, that reckon idea, that, that I'm to make it mine, I'm to hold it, that, that I'm to preserve it, I'm to meditate, I'm to ponder it, I'm to live in it, I'm, to, I'm just to get all saturated and soaked in these things. Now, it's interesting that the word think in this passage is an imperative. And if that doesn't mean much to you, it means it's a command. You are commanded to think on these things. So this isn't a suggestion. This isn't like, well, hey, you want to know how to live a good Christian life? Consider doing this. Paul says, no, you are to do this. This is a command. So this is intense. And then it's interesting that this word is in the present tense. And again, we've said this before, but in the Greek, in the Greek language, the present tense is more of the idea of the ever-present tense. Meaning whenever it is present, you are to do this. So should I do that right now? Yes. What about right now? Yes. What about right now? Yes. So whenever you live in the present tense, this is to be true in your life. And by the way, in case you didn't know this, you always live in the present tense. I know some of you dwell in the past. Some of you are future-oriented, but you do live in the present. So this is to be always true in your life whenever you are living. Does that make sense? And you're commanded to do so. That these things you should be thinking about. Now, you do realize that your mind is always dwelling on something. Well, for most of us. <laughs> but most of us are dwelling on something all throughout the day. And what Paul is emphasizing then is that you are to be dwelling upon the right things. It's not just, hey, dwell upon whatever. That you are to dwell upon specific things. Uh, that the world is constantly giving us things to think about. The world is constantly trying to put things in our minds, in that which we ponder and that which we dwell upon. And it's usually marked by death and darkness, you know, depravity, uh, deception, dread. I mean, it's any other good D word you want to put in there, you know, but, but it's all usually about the fear stuff. It's all about the, the problems of the world and the death and the destruction stuff. So rather than pondering anything you want to, Paul says, ponder the correct things. Keep your mind guarded in these things. I love what one writer said about this whole thing. He said, there is something of utmost importance. Sorry, this is something of utmost importance because it is a law of life that if we think of something often enough, we will come to the stage when we cannot stop thinking about it. Our thoughts will be quite literally in a groove out of which we cannot jolt them. It is, therefore, of the first importance that we should set our thoughts upon the fine things and here, Paul makes a list of them. In other words, the moment we begin to think about something and begin to dwell upon it, and it becomes an obsession to us, as, as this writer says, we get into a groove that's really hard to get out of. In fact, you can actually see that in the culture today. I mean, you just turn on the news, and everyone's, it's like we've been in these, what, eight, nine months of COVID craziness. And you're like, you would think someone would be rational at this point. And yet, everyone has gotten so into a groove 
of COVID, hating Trump, whatever, whatever the issue may be that you're watching on the news, that it's like everyone has gotten to this groove and nobody can seem to get out of that groove. Well, if you're going to put yourself in a groove, put yourself in a good groove. And so Paul says, hey, here's, here's the things that you should literally ingrain in your life and your thoughts. These are the things that you should think about. These are the things you should be ingrained in. Another scholar said it this way, Paul is calling for followers of Christ to be attentive, reflective, and meditative thinkers. To develop a Christian mind and character requires a lifetime of discerning and disciplined thought about all things that are excellent and praiseworthy. So again, it is a challenge, I understand, to keep our minds guarded and purposeful going in the right direction. But Paul says, hey, if you want the most freedom in the Christian life, if you want ultimate joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding, your mind has got to be guarded in these things, Paul says. And again, by the way, it's not just to think on these things, as he says at the end of verse 8. In verse 9, he even says, do these things. So again, we can't just merely esteem them. We can't just be, this can't just be a cognizant or a mental going, ah, oh, yeah, I like that idea. We've got to dwell upon these things, and we also got to put them into practice, that these just should be the elements of our life. But if it doesn't start with your thinking, it'll never become a part of your living. So that's really important. So then here's the question that I just want us to ponder. How on earth <laughs> can we keep our minds guarded to this stuff? Because again, culture is trying to fill our hearts and our minds with a whole bunch of junk. I mean, the, the whole culture is just is giving you everything to think about rather than this stuff. And of course, we're living in a day and age, and we keep saying this, where, where that which is good is, is seen as evil, and that which is evil is being propagated as good. And so the, the world is putting all this pressure upon us to think and to live and to do certain things that are not according to this list. So how on earth, as we, uh, we as believers, how on earth are we ever going to live this thing out? How, how on earth are we going to, to have this mind Maybe the first question we probably should ask ourselves in terms of that is, are, are we even willing for the old to be removed? Are, are we willing for the junk of this world that we have allowed to be propagated in our hearts and our minds to be removed, to be cleansed, to be changed, that the Spirit of God could actually come in and begin to transform our minds? Do we even want that? It's probably a better first question. And I know, that, I know the right answer, biblically. We all should be like, yes. We all want that. But do we actually want that? And, and maybe to even push this another step further, you realize it's not even just our current active thinking. Do we actually want the internal depth of who we are to be cleansed and transformed? I, I really like Eric's illustrations if you ever heard about the mind. And he splits the mind into three categories. And he says that you know we have this container, if you will, called suggestions, right? These things come at us from the world or, you know, from our old memories or from, from the enemy or, or just whatever. And it's like a knocks on our door and it presents itself. It suggests itself to us to see if we would ponder it. And there is this door where most of us, the door's open or the door's been broken off the hinges or, you know, there's, there, there, the door's not closed. And so the, the suggestion just walks right into the active thoughts of who we are. So you have these suggestions 
that if we allow them through the doorway, they become a part of our active thoughts. So right now you're thinking about something, right? Hopefully. <laughs> when you guys are eyes are open, so I'm presuming something's happening, right? But there is an active thought. So there's a suggestion that comes in. So I'm giving you these things to think about. For example, if I said, ah, think about a pink elephant. Suddenly there is this suggestion that has knocked on your door and now in your active thoughts, suddenly there is this pink elephant. And you're like, I did not want to think about a pink elephant. Then try to stop. You can do whatever you want. Think about anything but a pink elephant. Stop thinking about pink elephants. Stop thinking about pink elephants. Why are you still thinking about pink elephants? Isn't that hilarious? So now you have this active thought called a pink elephant. And if you dwell upon it enough, it becomes a part of the third section, which Eric is often called the pantry or the storehouse. It's those memories. It's the stuff that we have dwelt upon that becomes like, it goes into the subconscious of who we are and it gets put upon a shelf. And you understand there's, there's things in your life that you're not currently dwelling upon, but you could, by just going down to the filing cabinet of your subconscious, pull out a thought, right? So if we said, we know, what's your earliest memory? You know, you could go down and figure out what that earliest memory is. Uh, for a lot of us, we've, we've filled our pantries with junk, right? With thoughts or with images or whatever. And you could, if you wanted to, go into your pantry, into the storehouse, and yank out junk. So the question then becomes, if we are to be dwelling and thinking in this certain arena, within these boundaries, it's not just your current active thoughts that should be dwelling upon it, but really your storehouse or your pantry needs to be cleansed out so that which is in your storehouse is also defined by this list. Does that make sense? In other words, it's not just keep a whole bunch of junk in your subconscious and just only now dwell upon these things. What would it look like if the Spirit of God could actually come into our lives and actually cleanse out everything in our active thoughts and in our subconscious that is not a part of this list? You realize the blood of Christ is efficacious, which is just a big fancy term for it's powerful and effective. It is able to actually cleanse the conscience. It is actually able to change and transform the mind. That's such a cool thought to me. And of course, there's all these studies that have been coming out scientifically of, uh, for example, drugs. Drugs, if you take drugs, it rewires your brain. Pornography actually rewires your brain, which is a scary thought when you, when you start thinking. It's like, I don't know if that's good. And it's not, obviously. So how on earth, if your brain has been rewired by junk, how on earth are you going to be able to function? Well, you need it to be rewired. You need it to be transformed. You need it to be renewed. And the same thing's true about your, your pantry, your subconscious. Is it possible for the Spirit of God to come into our lives and deal with all the junk from our past? Yes. And wouldn't it be an amazing thought that Paul's list of whatevers that, hey, here's what you're to dwell upon. Here is what you should take into your account. Here, here is what you should meditate on. This is what you should be spending your time thinking about throughout the day. Wouldn't it be neat if that began to press itself into your pantry so the only thing in your pantry was this kind of stuff? There's that, there's that old illustration. You take a cup and it has a whole bunch of like scum and mud crusted on the bottom, right? And you start pouring in clean, fresh water. And the problem with pouring fresh water in is that it suddenly stirs up all the junk. But the more the clean water you pour in, eventually it's going to remove all that junk and all you're going to have in the cup is clean, pure water. See, that's what we need Jesus to do in our lives. That the more we begin to think on these things, 
He, through his spirit and the power of his blood, comes in and changes and transforms not just our active thinking, but even our subconscious, this pantry, this, this storehouse idea. So again, what would it look like for your whole life to be wrapped up in the boundary of the whatevers? Now, how is that going to take place? Well, I think the secret actually was from verse 7. When you go back to verse 7, it actually kind of gives you how on earth this is going to take place. Verse 7 again says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is going to guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. Wouldn't it be neat if that doorway that goes from the, from the suggestions into our active thoughts actually had a guard standing there making sure that that which comes into our active thoughts was this list? See, wouldn't it be neat if rather than having an open door policy to every thought that comes into our, you know, that, that is suggested to us, that, that rather than just having no door, that you actually have this bulletproof metal safe-like door on our, in our, on our minds. That when a thought comes, it's not like we just have open access. It has to get through Jesus. And Jesus actually becomes the guard. Think about this. The peace of God, we're speaking about Jesus, is going to guard your hearts and minds. That he himself is actually going to become the protection of your heart and your mind. See, what would happen if the only thing that was allowed into my mind had to first get through Jesus. That's a great idea. That it wasn't I was just open to anything. I am open to anything if it can get through Jesus. And again, the whatevers is not a constraint. The whatevers is a freedom thing. So you, hey, you can think about whatever you want if it's true. And if it's lovely and if it's noble and if it's praiseworthy, hey, just go crazy. Think about it. But anything that's dark, anything that is fearful, anything that produces anxiety, anything that's full of dread and death is not allowed. That would change how you watch the news. That would change if you watched the news. I probably should say it that way. This, this would change the kind of movies you'd watch. This would change the conversations you would have. This, this would change the jokes you would be willing to listen to. This would, this would change everything if Jesus became the guard upon our minds and our hearts. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you, you know the verse well, but Paul writes, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then listen to what he says in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That, that we should have a transformation, a renewal of our minds. And I think we can all admit we all need it. That we all have pantry and storehouse stuff that needs to be transformed. We all have rewiring in our brains that need to take place. Just because we filled it with darkness, just because we filled it with fear, because we filled it with dread and foreboding. And so what would it look like if the peace of God would actually guard our hearts. And as we would submit ourselves unto Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice, he would begin to change and transform and renew our minds. I love how that idea of Romans 12 is so tied into Psalm 119. 
Uh, Psalm 119 is about the word of God. And it's interesting in Psalm 119 verse 9, the question is asked, how is a young man going to keep his way pure? And then the psalmist answers the question by saying, oh, by living according to your word. And then two verses later, which I don't think is an accident, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. That somehow there is a connection between knowing the word and having the word deep within you, having it hidden in our hearts, and actually living and obeying and functioning in the word. So how are we going to, how is a young man going to keep his way pure? How is a young woman going to live rightly in this world? Well, we've got to live according to the word. Well, how are we going to live according to the word? You've got to put the word inside of you. And when you begin to do that, it changes and transforms and renews our hearts and our minds. So, hey, if you, if you want to follow Paul's list here of the whatevers and say, all right, I, I need to guard my heart and my mind, or I need to allow God to guard my heart and my mind, so I only can think about these things. Well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to keep Jesus at the forefront of my mind. The Word of God is going to have to become central in my life. In fact, it's interesting, when you go through this list, whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good rapport, virtuous, praiseworthy, you realize that every single one of those finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So it's not just, well, you can only think about Jesus, nothing else. So don't think about your jobs, don't think about your spouse. That's obviously not what Paul's talking about. But Jesus is the fruition. He is the, the climax. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. So what would happen if Jesus not only became the guard of our minds, but what if he was the central thing we thought about? And if Jesus is the central thing we thought about, again, it's not like you can't think about anything else. You have complete freedom to think in this realm. But if Jesus is the fruition and the fulfillment of all of these things, he really should be the central thought upon our minds. He should be that which we dwell upon all throughout the day. So what would it look like if we actually submitted and surrendered every thought to Jesus for him to guard, for him to protect, for, for him to throw out if necessary? Now, I'm not talking about being passive. You're fully involved. Hey, you've got to choose what th- things you're going to think upon. But what if he became the, the focus? What if he is the fulfillment of the whatevers? I think that would change everything in our lives. So, practical question. What is it that you think about? What is it that you dwell upon all throughout the day? Is it marked by fear? Is it marked by foreboding? Is it marked by death or darkness? Or is it marked by Jesus? What would happen if our minds were saturated and guarded with Jesus, by Jesus? Is he our ultimate focus? Now, in the upcoming studies, and I still haven't figured out how we're going to do this, because uh, I'm a little afraid that if we do one of these every session, we're never going to get through this passage. But there is so much richness in this, in this passage, I'm like, it could be fun just to spend one week looking at each of these things. So I don't, I don't know how we're going to eventually do it. But in the upcoming week, uh, we're going to dive into specifically what do each of these things mean. But we have to remember that this is not restrictive. This is freedom. Because there is liberty in the midst of boundaries. There is freedom in the midst of having a fence around which you are to operate. So realize that you, it's not that you can think about anything. There are boundaries. What's the boundary? Jesus. Ultimately. 
And in the middle of that boundary, you can think about whatever you want. I don't know about you, but I need this. Uh, in this culture, in this day and age, in this, this season that we're living in, I need that peace of God to guard my heart my mind. I need a boundary of what to think upon. Because it is so easy to be watching a news update and your mind goes everywhere but this. And then you hear the rumors of what's going on and you, you get frustrated or you get fearful or you get whatever it is that happens in your life rather than saying focus on this. And I do find that it is quite timely. So could we allow Jesus again to clean up our active thoughts, to clean up our storehouse to the point where everything that we think about is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good rapport, virtuous, praiseworthy? Boy, it sounds like a Christian, doesn't it? We need this. Let's pray, Lord. Oh, Lord, we need a renewing of our minds. We need a transformation of our hearts. And Lord, the world is such, they are so good at pressing everything that is not of you. And all that the world presses upon and all that the world declares is, is dark and full of death and dread. So Lord, could you somehow come and would you, would you through your peace, would you guard our hearts and our minds? Would you, would you bolt the door so that the suggestions that come to us wouldn't just have free access, but they would have to get through you? They'd have to be measured against this boundary, which is you. And Lord, I just pray that, that we wouldn't just succumb to the thought processes of our day, that we would live as Christians. We would think as Christians, and we would have a Christian mindset, that our hearts and our minds would would dwell upon that which is true and honest and lovely, of excellence, praiseworthy, just. Ultimately, Jesus, could, we, could you be the center of our focus? Could you be the delight of our mind? And Lord, thank you that this is not a restrictive thing. This isn't a build high walls and it's, the focus is on the boundary. It's there is a boundary, but there's freedom in the midst of living in the boundaries. So Lord, this isn't legalism. This, this isn't pressure. This isn't a finger wagging in our faces. This is, this is setting us free. This is, hey, we don't have to dwell upon sin. Hey, we don't have to dwell upon darkness. Hey, we actually are free from never having to, to ponder death and destruction and evil. That all the lies and the deception and the manipulation, we, hey, we can be free of all of that. Lord, I pray, especially in this season, that we would live free. We would think with freedom, guarded by your Spirit. Lord, would you saturate and guard our minds? Would you be the passion of our hearts? And Lord, would you clean up our active thoughts? Would you enable our subconscious to be cleansed and transformed and renewed? Hey, would your, would your blood, which is so powerful and so effective, as your word says, truly cleanse our consciences? 
And Lord, I pray that we would be completely transformed to the point that when someone looks at our life, we really are a brand new creature. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. A line has been drawn in the sand. So Lord, would you take our brains and rewire them as necessary? Would you renew? Would you transform? Would you radically change and alter anything and everything in our minds that, that, need, that needs to be changed so that we can obey the passage, which is love the Lord our God with all of our minds. So Lord, we freshly submit ourselves to you. We surrender afresh. And Lord, we do want to set our minds before you and say, Lord, here you go. And Lord, thank you that there are boundaries that we can stay within. And thank you that the stuff that the world is propagating does not have to have entrance in a place to dwell in our minds. Lord, thank you that you are our victory. You are our triumph. And so may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds. Lord, would you be the sentinel of our souls. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.